You know, they're a great football team. Every every position, I, there's nothing about them you see. They're the best team that we've played since I've been at Duke. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Tuesday, November 20th, and the Clemson Tigers are fresh off a 35-6 win over the Duke Blue Devils on Saturday, which has given this Clemson team their 51st win in their last four years, making the 2018 senior class the winningest in school and ACC history. So quite an amazing feat. Congratulations to those guys. But for me, the biggest excitement and takeaway from this day is we don't have to think about wearing purple again for another year. You know, thank God for Military Appreciation Day. I'd like to thank all the veterans and for everything that they've contributed. Um, but one reason it means so much to me is, Sam, we get to get the purple jerseys out of the way. I hate them. I don't think they look great. I understand purple's our color. It's a good accent color. Um, don't love it as a uniform. How about you? I'm not as opposed to it as you are. Uh, I kind of like the orange as not the entire uniform, but if we did orange pants or, or orange and purple split pants and top, uh, I'd be okay with it. The purple all the way across the board is a little bit much. Yeah, uh, my favorite purple combination is the white jerseys, purple pants. I think those yeah. are pretty solid. But, uh, you know, one of the things, and I think to, to, to his credit, that Dabo did when he took over this team from Tommy Bowden is he just got rid of the whole uniform thing. I don't know if you guys remember back then. It was a big deal week to week what uniform we were going to wear. There was all these different color combinations that involved the purple. Um, anything purple and orange combo is hideous, like the purple tops, orange pants, um, or vice versa. But again, I'm just glad that that distraction is no longer a thing. We don't have to be flashy we with our jerseys. Yeah, the, the, the orange and the tiger paw, what defines Clemson, uh, we don't need this flashy stuff. We talked about this before. I don't think we need this flashy stuff like other schools do. Um, and it's proven... Uh, it, it's it's shown on the field. So again, military appreciation day. I think it's a perfect uh, moment to wear the purple jerseys, and I, I think it has really good sentiment. Um, and I'm also glad it's over because again, we don't have to see them again until next year. Great. Now we just get to move on to a nice matchup with the Gamecocks, and we should be in orange for the state championship. Orange britches. Yeah, orange britches indeed. Um, yeah, so big win over the weekend. Um, the scariest moment is the oh my god moment. Did Hunter Renfro just die um, when he landed on the ground and just kind of went limp? That was yep. the scariest takeaway of that game. Um, fortunately, he's okay. Looks like he'll be starting this week against South Carolina. But Trevor, please, please, please start making it easier for Hunter Renfro to catch passes. Because it's, it's more fun if he challenges him. It's no good if you just throw it to Hunter. He had that one out screen pass where it was a little bit ahead of Hunter. Hunter kind of alligator 
armed it. Yep. Uh, because the guy was coming right on top of him. Yep. Kind of put him in harm's way, though. So, again, Trevor, please throw it closer to Hunter Rimpro. Yeah. Um, we need him. We, we'll get into that more when we talk about the Duke game in detail. But Trevor was a little bit wild throughout the entire game this week. A little bit. And, yeah, we'll get into that. Um, yeah, so another takeaway I have from this game is that the targeting rule proves itself over and over again to be absolutely BS. Um, just the fact that kids are getting thrown out of games. The Isaiah Simmons t- targeting, it was it was good that they called that back. But they're, the officials' natural instinct now is just to call it and let replay overturn it, which is fine. But I think it's just leading to way too many targetings. And the ones that that do stand, um, the one against, what was Amari. that, Amari Rogers? Yeah. I mean, come on, man. I mean, if you want to call a 15-yard penalty on the kid, whatever, but don't throw him out of the game for that. That was not that yeah. was not malicious. No, I, I agree. I feel like they need to take a different level into it um, where if it's malicious or it's clear that it was meant to do damage, you can toss the guy out of the game. But if it's just a more or less incidental contact to the helmet, even if it's somewhat impactful you can't toss these kids out of games for just making normal football plays yeah and again aside from these guys shoulders with the shoulder pads which have even gotten more slimmed down and compact over the years like your head is the thing that has the the largest amount of padding so it increases in size something you're not necessarily used to so i mean of course like helmets are going to brush it's freaking football these guys tackle each other at full speed um so helmets are going to come in contact with one another Occasionally, so I, you know, I'm all for player safety. I think the targeting rule is a good thing when applied correctly. Um, but it's it's really starting to affect um, the, the quality of play on the field, especially when you start throwing these kids out of games. It's just not. I mean, spearing when you're leading with your head or something like that. That's one thing. Sure, throw them out. But incidental contact. Come on, man. Give me a break. Yeah, I'm all for player safety, but uh, when it th- slows down the game and we get a bunch of, like you said calls that are expected to be overturned by replay just being made to be safe. It, uh, it takes away from the game and the ticky tack ones that kids are still getting thrown out of games for is, is a little bit excessive. I think it's in the NFL. Is it the NFL that still has the rule where you get, or was it college that they overturned it this year where even if they overruled it and the kid got to stay in the game, the 15 yard penalty still applied. Oh, I don't know about that. I think they changed that last year. Maybe. And that made absolutely no sense. Um, so, well, anyways, we'll be done griping on that because there's more exciting things to talk about this week. Um, and we mentioned the Clemson victory, but first, Sam, let's get into the, the games over uh, um, that occurred in week 12. The college football playoff top 25 is out once again today. Clemson sitting there at number two. You know, I thought for a brief moment with Alabama struggling the first half against the Citadel going into that game tied. And honestly, the Citadel came out and missed a field goal, could have gone up 13 to 10 early in the second half. Um, I, I thought maybe that, that Clemson could come into the conversation of possibly jumping ahead of them, and maybe it could have even happened had Clemson had a better first half against Duke. Yeah, I think uh, I think the committee is pretty well entrenched with their top three. I don't think anything's going to move unless somebody loses. Um, but Alabama really looked bad in that 10-10 first half against the Citadel. Um, so, you know, anything's possible. But... We uh, we're pretty solidly in that two slot as long as we we hold steady. I think. Yeah, we're, we're not going to move from that as long as we win out. Um, I would say for me, uh, 
selfishly, I'd like to see us jump to one because that would align us to play with Michigan should things hold. And Michigan, as opposed to Notre Dame, is really the team that I would like to see Clemson play. Yeah, I I think we're going to handle either Notre Dame, Michigan, Georgia, Oklahoma, whichever team gets into that four, uh, or that three spot. UCF. UCF. Not going to get the three spot. There's a, a very small chance they get the four. Um, but I just, I don't think we're going to struggle with any of those teams. So I'm really open to whoever comes into the slot to, to match up with us. Well, and I'll, I will say this, at least for Notre Dame, they did, um, they put on a good show, uh, this past weekend against yep. Syracuse in Yankee stadium that comes with a caveat in that Dungy got knocked out of the game very early on and Syracuse offense really had no chance after that. Um, but all things considered, that's still a, a pretty big win for Notre Dame. They had farther to travel than, well, I think they had further to travel than Syracuse. My uh, geography is not my, my, that my accurate. In, Indiana to to New York versus upstate New York down to the city. Yeah, geography is a little off, but I'm thinking Syracuse is a little bit closer. Yeah, and I think their their fan base, while Notre Dame travels extremely well, I think there are probably more uh, Syracuse fans in the stadium on Saturday. Well, I think we were all kind of hoping for an up that upset there, at least to, to, to show us that Syracuse was worthy of their then number 12 ranking. I still think they're a good football team, and again, Dungey went out. However, I think after having watched that game, had he stayed in there, it would have been close, maybe a one-score game. Definitely closer. Notre, Notre Dame still probably uh, uh, pulls that game off. Um, and then looking over to Michigan, they have an 11-point win against Indiana. They struggled, too. They struggled a little bit. Indiana, like a five-win, five-and-six football team or something like that. Um, Michigan was at home. Yep. Um, so yeah, interesting to kind of see them struggle there, but again, they've, you know, they got one of the best defenses in the nation, um, out there right now. So I think as long as they hold serve, uh, when, when it comes to that, you're not worrying too much about how much they're scoring, or at least they're not, um, that's not necessarily how they win games on offense. Um, but again, you got Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan, solidly there, um, in the top four, and should those teams win out, those are going to be your top four probably in that order for the college football playoff. Yep, and if they don't, you've got the same three or four following them up in uh, Georgia and Oklahoma, and then LSU inexplicably still at number seven in the country, even with their two losses, uh, and then Washington State and UCF and Ohio State round out that top ten. There really was no movement this last week except for the West Virginia loss uh the top 10 stayed as is for the second week in a row minus that one team moving out which wasn't really consequential because they were at number nine and had no chance to make it anyway yeah so a few things of note here as we start to round out the kind of five through ten here uh, georgia put up a pretty good show against umass but again you take that with a grain UMass. of salt giving the the level of competition there oklahoma though uh, at home, giving up 40 to Kansas. I know they won by 15 points. Hey, but they've got less miles now. It's different. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see how that experiment works out. Um, uh, less miles doesn't necessarily meet the, the girth requirement for success at Kansas. Uh, but again, Oklahoma, not a very good defense, giving up 40 points at home to Kansas. 23 in the fourth quarter. It, yeah, so that's Kansas. That's eye popping. I know Oklahoma has a really good offense. I know Kyler Murray is uh, a phenomenal quarterback. He is uh, solidly in the running for the Heisman, kind of neck and neck with Tua right now from Alabama. But that forty spot has to scare Oklahoma. 
um, fans. I, they they can put up 55 on Kansas. They're not going to put up 55 on Clemson. They're not going to put 55 on Alabama. They're not no going to put, put up 55 on Michigan. Um, and I guarantee you at least two of those teams have offenses that are can score more than 50 on Oklahoma. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if Kansas can put up 40, what is what are Alabama or us going to do to them? It's just – it's going to be a high-scoring affair at least for one team. Yeah, and – and it's not going to be rest Oklahoma. assured. Kansas is not a, a good football program. Um, a couple other things to note, and this was actually really interesting to me is Washington state, the number eight, Washington state beating Arizona at home, 69 to 28. That's a bit of a statement win from them. I think uh, you probably get the sense that Mike Leach knows that um, they need to do a little bit of uh, um, they need some style points yep. uh, with, with them sitting there at number eight for them to move up any further. Um, although that being said, they win out. They're still a one-loss team. They would win the the Pac-12 in that scenario. They still have a good shot at getting in. I would say right now, probably, um, though, it's going to take uh, a Michigan loss to Ohio State uh, next weekend, and yep. then Oklahoma yep. uh, a loss over the next couple of weeks, really to keep them out. And that's assuming Alabama went over Georgia. Yeah, I think they'd probably jump over LSU with a Pac-12 championship. You, you would have to think so. That get, they get one extra game that LSU is not going to have. Exactly. So they're going to need a little help from um, Michigan, Oklahoma, and then probably going to need Alabama to win out and beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. Um, so those three teams would have to lose. But if Washington State does what they're supposed to do, wins out, there's still definitely a chance there because those three losses, Ohio State's a good team. Alabama obviously can certainly beat Georgia. Um, and if Oklahoma loses, you know, it could all happen. Yeah, and regardless of, of how it does shake out, uh, really a phenomenal year for Washington State bouncing back uh, from that early loss at the beginning of the season to at this point has run the, run the table since then. Um, and nobody really had them uh, ridden in there coming out of the Pac-12. Washington, obviously, would have been a favorite, um, as well as Stanford, as usual. Um, and um, even Oregon had a pretty good year. Uh, but nobody really saw Washington State coming. And even very early on, as of like four or five weeks ago, when they were still like you know, six and one, something like that, they were still ranked in the 20s uh, in, in the AP poll. So quite a shock to see them keep winning uh, some and get all the way up there to eight. Yeah, their their quarterback Gardner Minshew seven touchdowns this week. He's up to third in ESPN's experts air quotes poll for the Heisman watch. Um, so he's having an incredible year. He's got a terrible mustache, but uh, it seems to be helping him win football games. So keep it going. Well, let's face it: most mustaches, if they're not handlebar mustaches, are terrible mustaches. Um, yeah, but kudos to, to to Washington State. There, it'll be interesting to see how the season wraps up for them. And you know what? We could all use some more Mike Leach in our lives. Absolutely. And then Ohio State sitting there at number 10. Somehow they still have a chance, uh, a path forward. Well, I guess they're, they did get jumped. They're still sitting at number 10, I believe. They did. They got jumped by, by UCF, uh, UCF. Uh, with, with West Virginia moving out of that nine spot with their loss on the road to Oklahoma State. So we talk about that Ohio State-Maryland pretty crazy Game is 52 to 51. Ohio State wins. That game was at Maryland. Maryland went for a two point conversion there at the end to win the game. Um, didn't work out for him. Questionable no. move at home. You usually play for the tie at home. That being said, you consider the season that Maryland's had, which is actually that they, they've won some good football games. They beat Texas to, to lead off the year. But of course, the tra- tragedy of losing one of their players. Yeah. 
um, his untimely passing there in August prior to the season. And then all the, the following the, turmoil with the, all the coaches, with, with and the coaches. but Matt Canada has done a pretty good job there and is kind of putting Absolutely. himself in line to maybe get that head coaching gig. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, McNair's death was obviously terrible. Um, and finally, after way too much deliberation, they've, they seem to have made the right call and gotten rid of a lot of the people responsible for the mishandling of, of his health and that whole situation. Um, but I think I think going for the two point conversion is the right call for a team in that situation. Their season pretty much is what it is. They're going to be a bowl team, I think. Yeah, they'll be um, a bowl team. But that's all they're playing for. So if you can knock off number ten in the country, that's a big deal, especially for a program in such turmoil. Well, and how much of that is Canada kind of auditioning for the job? Totally. With that one, you got to think they pull off that victory. He might be a shoe in for that coaching gig. Now he may still have some stuff to prove. We'll see how they finish out the season next week and then in their bowl game. Um, but I don't think a lot of people saw as much success for Maryland this year, no, given all the turmoil that we talked about definitely leading into the season. I, I will say, I think, for the most part, they fared a lot better than Ohio State with the the turmoil that Ohio State. I know their record's not as good. Obviously, they lost this game, but the talent's not as good either. Yeah, totally. Um, it was a, It was a fun game, though. Back and forth the whole time. Maryland looked competitive. They looked obviously they had a chance to win it on the last play of the game. So that's all you can ask for when you're the underdog and you're playing at home. Yeah, but so ultimately not a lot of outcomes that had a huge impact. Overall, a, a very boring week for the top ten to fifteen. West teams. West Virginia losing and falling out was really the only drama going on. I mean, you can say what you will about Oklahoma putting up 40 against Kansas, but at the end of the day, they still won the football game. Yep. And you're not going to be able to judge how how that defense is going to be able to play against a more elite offense until they have an opportunity to do so. Uh, they get West Virginia coming up week this week, so Will Greer, that'll be uh, interesting to, uh, to watch out for. Um, yep. And then finally, you know, I – and looking over the stats and how this thing is kind of playing out right now, the, the more advanced metrics, you know, it's not often that you see the two best teams in the country also having top offenses and defense defenses. Alabama in top 10 in both categories. Clemson is as well. So we're heading for what could be a pretty epic matchup should uh, – should we see chalk here carrying on out and you see Alabama Clemson match up in a national title game? Yeah. I mean, it's two of the best offenses in the country. Like you said, top 10 in both for both teams. Uh, right now, Alabama is obviously number one overall in the S and P plus rankings. Uh, number two for offense, number six for defense. We're number nine for offense. Number one for defense, uh, moving up past Michigan for that number one spot on defense this week. And that sixth spot for Alabama on defense, you Huge remember for the most part of the season, they were sitting in the mid thirties Yep. and then um, really blowouts against LSU and Mississippi state has helped catapult them up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they didn't score, didn't let their opponents score for like two and a half games straight. So that really helps your your rankings, especially when you're playing against other top-ranked teams like LSU, even though their offense is terrible. Uh, they have blowouts on the season as well because they're playing some inferior teams. Um, Alabama's ability to close those teams out and execute and make sure that they don't give up freebie points um, has really 
catapulted them up the rankings on on the defensive side. The Citadel, with their 17 points, scored more against Alabama than seven of the other teams on Alabama's schedule this year. Go Bulldogs. They're Bulldogs, right? I don't know what that says about the Bulldogs, Alabama's kind of state of mind coming into that game, or just how bad the SEC is on offense. Yeah, I think Maybe it's a little a, bit of everything. Little, yeah, a little from column A, B, and C. Hey, listen, South Carolina is, or sorry, the Citadel is no stranger to taking down SEC powerhouses. No. Look at at home. <laughs> Tongue in cheek, South Carolina. Okay, so before we get into breaking down the uh, Clemson Duke game, first want to give a plug for the podcast. Again, we appreciate everybody uh, tuning in and listening every week. We appreciate when we're late on the show, um, everybody pinging us and asking us when it's going to come out. We appreciate your fanhood. Uh, we appreciate Tully last week for kind of taking the burden off of uh, the other three of us and piggybacking his conversation with Colby from Shaking the Southland and also doing a BC re- recap. Um, if you guys were able to hang in there for the full hour and 53 minutes of it, it was it was a really a good lot show. Of good stuff in there. Yeah, and it was the first time I've actually, it was the first time we had Colby from Shaking the Southland on, and I, I wasn't too familiar with his stuff over there, but uh, really impressed by that episode, and yeah, really good content. So looking forward to having those guys back on, um, uh, all the guys from the Shaking the Southland that we have, and also ClemsonPause.com. Um, so yeah, be sure to follow us on uh, iTunes and SoundCloud. Please leave us an iTunes review, um, or on any really podcast app for whatever operating system uh, you use, whether it be SoundCloud or Stitcher or Podbean. Um, Be sure to subscribe. That ensures that you get our shows, notification of our shows as soon as they come out. And again, like I mentioned, as always, iTunes reviews are super helpful and very much appreciated. You can reach out to us. We are... Can, you can email us, clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. We're at Clemson Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, what else do we do? Uh, we're not on Instagram. We're not on Instagram. We don't take pictures of things. We're not on Snapchat? No. Uh, LinkedIn. Not on LinkedIn. Not on LinkedIn. Although, maybe something to put on our profiles. Totally. Four years going strong. Done some podcasts. Yeah. Twitter, Facebook, email. That's where you can get us. There you have it. Let's get into the Duke game. Okay, so again, a 35-6 to Clemson victory over Duke over the weekend. Uh, Sam, the biggest gripe from this game, and we'll start with the offense here, was the slow start by the offense. And although, you know, it, it's hard because we have, we have these slow starts the last couple weeks. We've got questions. You see fans questioning the play calling. Why aren't we running the ball more? Why aren't we getting ETN more touches? But that being said, we are the number nine S&P offense. And at the beginning of the year, we were saying if we were in the top 25, top 15, that watch out, that was better than, expect, better than expected. Here we are, top 10, and another one of those metrics, we're number 36 in explosive plays where we were, uh, we've been getting better, starting to move up as the season has gone along. Um, in comparison, though, you look at Oklahoma is number one in that category, Bama number three, so some improvement to be had there. So, you know, we struggled out of the gate. At the end of the day, we put up 35 points against a, a decent Duke football team. Although we do have the concerning part of the early uh, the early quarter struggles, six mm-hmm. punts on the first seven drives, only seventeen rushing yards in the first half, four fourteen on third down for the game. That's that's not a good look. Um, but the team did bounce back, 
ended up reaching the end zone in the first three possessions of the second half. Yep. But at the end of the day, you never really felt that the game was out of hand or it was a threat just because no. Duke's offense wasn't showing much against. Well, they were showing. We'll get into that. They showed a little bit against our defense. Um, but you still got the feeling again that it was going to be hard for them to score, and it was only a matter of time before the offense kicked it in gear and got going. Yeah, like you said, it was never you were never worried about the outcome of the game. Um, Duke punted, I think, ten times. Yeah, ten times, um, and so they they had a lot of struggles moving the ball against us. We started off terribly. Part of that was maybe not getting the run game started early. Part of it was Trevor was a little wild throughout the game. Um, I went back and on my rewatch, I paid close attention to his incompletions. He had 17 during the game. Six of them were thrown right into the breadbasket of the receiver and just dropped, uh, which is not something we see a lot of. Um, six of them throughout the game. And then Chase Bryce had one at the end of the game as well that he threw straight to somebody that got dropped. Yeah, that was DeAndre Overton, and he continues to prove while he's not getting more playing time. With those drops, he did have one very nice catch down the sideline, though, from Trevor, where he kind of snatched it away uh, from the defender over his shoulder. So, was that Overton or Darren Kendrick? You're right; it was Kendrick. It was Kendrick. Kendrick. It was Kendrick. Um, which he made up for a drop. Absolutely, he had be, one early. A be, drop early it would be touchdown. Yep. There, you saw Renfro with some uh, with some uh, um, uncharacteristic drops there, although. The ball definitely could have been thrown better. Amari yep. Rogers had a few drops, although I, everybody's given Amari Flack. Um, he did have several drops in the game, although I can't. I don't think you can pin all those on him. Uh, he had the one egregious drop on the third drive of the second half when he was wide open. Yep. Uh, but he had another one, a low throw that he probably should have had. But again, yeah. that's an accuracy issue from Trevor Lawrence. Yep. The first one of the game was punched out. Uh, one was a jump ball with a defender in his face. Remember, he's not six five. Yeah. Uh, he's a shorter guy. Um, and the one he had to lay out, lay out for, which would have been an unbelievable catch had he made it. Yeah. So I, uh, in my recount, I counted the one that got punched out because he really should have had it. And the one that was kind of low that he didn't come up with. Uh, and Hunter's would be the seventh drop, the one where he dove in the sideline and, and got injured that play. It was only catchable for Hunter Renfro or apparently T Higgins or Justin Ross, because they have shown the ability to make those I'm sideways in the air and going out of bounds, but I can still make the play uh, abilities. So besides the three of them, there are very few people in college football that can make that catch. So I didn't count it in my six drops for this, for the game. Um, But Trevor was uh, leading guys a little bit too much throughout the game. He overthrew a couple throws. Um, He just didn't look sharp for, especially in the first half. Uh, Second half was a little better. He didn't really end up throwing very much in the second half. And then, uh, Chase Bryce came in to finish the game, but I uh, I think he also made up for it. He had some really nice throws to to Justin Ross, uh, the touchdown to to TJ Chase um, was 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 great pass and great catch. Very very nice on both ends. So it was uh, a little bit hit or miss for him on the day. Ended up with one of his worst ratings of the season, but still um, threw for 250 yards and two touchdowns on the day. We'll take it. Yeah, I mean, he had some brilliant throws. The one to, um, the one to Ross, for instance, uh, yep. kind of over his back shoulder uh, for that touchdown before the half was a great throw. But for the most part, that was kind of my takeaway. It wasn't necessarily all the drops. It was, I mean, that was part of it. But Trevor Lawrence was just miss- missing throws. Yeah. And the deep ball hasn't been quite there for him at times. And it really, 
really needs to improve on his touch. And that's yeah. kind of my biggest takeaway. And I, I'll make a comparison to baseball. If you'll, you'll remember back in the 90s, uh, I think it was the late 90s, maybe early 2000s, when Chuck Knobloch was playing second base for the New York Yankees, and he just kind of got the yips, and all of a sudden he couldn't throw to first base. Mm-hmm. Um, so I related to that, and, and more so I'm relating it to, to my experience playing when I was a pitcher when I was playing baseball. And one of the hardest things for me to do, and I had struggles with it, was when I had a comebacker, was throwing it to first base because I was so used to winding up and throwing as hard as I could, and the little tosses would kind of get me off. Um, so that's what it, it kind of feels like to me is that when he has to go on these more touch throws uh, where, where it takes a little bit more touch to completion instead of the ones where he's trying to thread a needle there yep. that he's struggling with. And it's something that, yeah, he really needs to improve on, I think, for, for this offense to really click at high gear. Yeah, I think this week was a little bit different than past weeks where – he struggled with some of the out the throws out to the sideline, the short throws. He was all over the place spraying them, uh, which we haven't seen a lot of. He's been hit or miss on the deep balls throughout the season. Uh, he has ones where he will drop it right in the basket, and the guy will just have it really easy, uh, just catch it and keep running, and then he'll overthrow it by three yards on the next one. He's been doing that all season. So, you know, there's definitely still room for improvement for Trevor. We have to keep in mind, though, this kid's, his he's a true freshman and we're complaining that he's missing some throws while he still makes these ridiculous throws. Uh, it's a really good problem to have. Well, and think, I mean, every time this kid encounters something, it goes into a certain environment. It's his first time. I know we're first night game. You think that had anything yeah, to do first with first night game in death Valley. I know we're 11 games into the season now, but that makes a difference. That's the first time for him. It was the first time um, going on the road to Boston College there for a college game day. That was his kind of first time um, experiencing that as the starter. So well, we got AM game day too. Right. So but as, second, as, 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 the starter, as the starter. As the starter. And if you remember the AM game, it was Kelly Bryant that we needed to come in and bail yeah, us out absolutely. when Trevor Lawrence wasn't looking so absolutely. great. Absolutely. Uh, so we do have to remember that it's how he responds the next time. And yep. so we're going to immediately turn around. This coming Do weekend against South Carolina, our in-state rival, again at night in Death Valley. Let's see how he bounces back there. Yeah, I think uh, I think he'll show he's prepared. That's something the coaches have talked about a lot with him is that he doesn't make the same mistake twice. So we'll see if he uh, is able to look at the film from this week, figure out what he was doing wrong, uh, get his head in the right space, and come out and just crush South Carolina on Saturday. And he's going to, again, he will look like freshman at times. He's had plays he in every single one. game. Yeah, he, and he is one. He's a true <laughs> freshman. But given the whole body of work of the entire season, once we get through these next couple of weeks here, we're facing a South Carolina team that uh, by all means should be an easy win for the Tigers and then Pitt in the ACC championship game while where while Pitt, good football team. Knock on wood. Still should be an easily winnable game. Yep. But Trevor Lawrence, first time in a conference cha- championship game. Absolutely. Again, first time for everything there. So. We'll see how it plays out. Get through those things. I'm feeling a lot more comfortable going into a college football playoff, having three weeks off uh, or four weeks off and three weeks of practice between yep. then and the bowl game. And we saw how he bounced back after the bye week. Yep. Um, the Tigers went on the tear, yep. scoring a lot of points um, you know, against opponents. So obviously not time to not, panic. Not worried. Now let's flip it over to the running game and another young guy in Travis Etienne. 
off to a little bit of slow start, wasn't quite hitting holes the way he should. And he got upset with himself and possibly somebody else getting a little yippy there on the sideline. Um, we've heard that he gets a little nervous at the beginning of games, uh, especially in the first drive. And another slow start in this one. Yeah, another slow start. Um, but he had towards uh, later in the game, he had two incredible touchdown runs. Uh, and one thing that I noticed on both of those runs is that the lead blocker on both of them was T Higgins and he had driven his defender through the back of the end zone on both of them. It was awesome. Uh, and so I just want to give T a shout out and say, we should run to his side a little bit more, um, or line him up. We generally like to run more to the outside on the left side, um, towards Mitch. So, you know, if we're, if we're going to do that, we should put T on the left when we do it and uh, let him be a lead blocker and, and really break open more holes for Travis. It, it was beautiful to see. Yeah, and I don't know if it's a thing where, you know, we've seen this at times this year where the first several offensive drives were not seeing the ball given to, to ETN as much as us as a fan base uh, would like to see. We know what he's capable of, and it does get frustrating at times. Nine carries isn't enough. No, though. and it did look like he was lacking a little burst in the in the first half there. His runs were getting strung out a bit. But, yeah, I don't just wonder if you don't feed him a little bit more in the early going just to kind of get the offense in rhythm. I know the philosophy of this offensive staff is to see what the defense gives you, gauge where the defense is going to give you out the gate and to kind of adapt to that. But it just, yeah, nine carries is not enough for this guy. No, he's a legitimate Heisman candidate this year. He's obviously fallen off the charts uh, as far as the Heisman watch because of the last few games. He hasn't seen a lot of carries, um, but he's our uh, rushing touchdowns leader all time comes in history now at this point, right? He's broken that record, I think. Yeah, he's been breaking records. So. Um, so this is a guy that's going to get it in the end zone for you. The second touchdown run this week, he broke like 17 tackles on his way to the end zone and ran through people. It was beautiful. Um, his, he's just, it's amazing the level of balance and violent running that he combines. Um, he'll run through people and run over them and then run past them. But I can still tell... Um, a little hesitancy sometimes. You know, last year when he was out on the field, he was very raw, didn't have a grasp of the playbook, and they're like, here's the ball, young man. Go out there and just run past people. Run faster than them, beat them to the end zone. Sometimes it seems like he's thinking a little bit too much or things are a little bit slower to process, and we, we, that's where I kind of mention where he's kind of lacking that burst. Yep. Um, where it may look, it's not even fluid. It's just a little bit slowed down and, and things are slower to develop and that allows the defenders to get to him more quickly. Yeah, I think he definitely still has room for growth. Um, the nice thing about our running back core is that when he's struggling, you can put Tavian Feaster in and Feaster in the first quarter looked great. Uh, first and second quarters looked great. Um, he ended up getting more carries at the end of the game and lowering his rush average for the game. Um, but he got us to a touchdown early in the game and there's a little bit of that veteran presence. Tavian's been there. He's done this before. Uh, so if ETN's getting a little bit antsy, they can put him in and just kind of take it easy. Let Travis settle and then put him back in for some take a runs breath, later. Let exactly. Rest, let him compose himself. Um, and another thing that I'll point out too is uh, Lynn J Dixon was in there on the second drive of the second half. And I don't wonder 
seemed like he was taking some carries from Adam Choice there, moving maybe closer to that third string role. We did see Adam Choice later in the game there. Um, Turf Monster is, is really his biggest enemy at this point. He gets tackled more by the ground than any running back I've ever seen. That's the second one. He So he had that long uh, 12-yard run. That was really nice. And then the next play or two plays later, whatever it was, they handed it off to him, cut it back to the left. It was open. He had at least 15 yards if he could have stayed on his feet, and nobody around him falls down for like a seven-yard gain. It's bad enough oh. he often goes down on first contact, but that's no only contact. He, he often goes down on no contact. More than anybody else I've watched. It's, right. it's always shocking. But now, you know, you're kind of getting used to it. Love, with him. love Adam to death. But He's, when he breaks away for a long run, I can't remember what game it was when he went on that. It was the game where we had the three guys. Maybe the first game. We had yeah, the three over guys 125. Over. Yeah. Yeah. And he broke away for that long touchdown run. And everybody was, you know, he was at the 30. Nobody was around him. Everybody thought he was going to score. And I'm calm down. <laughs> He's got 30 yards to go. <laughs> got to stay on his feet the whole time. People. There's a lot of ground in front of him that could trip him up. So, um. But, yeah, I mean, that being said, 208 rush yards on the day. It wasn't easy at times, but did rack up over uh, 200 rushing yards once again. And just kind of going back before we tie a bow on this one real quick, talk about not getting ETN enough touches. It's not necessarily just on the coaching either. A lot of these are run-pass options where it's on Trevor Lawrence uh, to to make the read and do the right thing with the ball. Yeah, it's, you know, that's a a team thing. They've got to figure out what works when. It's another freshman. It's another freshman area for freshmen and a sophomore running back. You know, their communication probably has, you know, some gaps in it. They need to work on when Travis wants the ball and when Trevor's going to take it. And, you know, it's uh, it's something that they'll get better at next year. It'll be even better later this year. It'll be even better. So not something to worry about, but definitely something to work on. Yeah. And so you mentioned uh, T Higgins and that was one of my notes here is that I just it's not just his blocking, but I love the toughness that you see out of T Higgins. He's usually good for at least three or four yards after he catches the ball near the chains. I mean, yep. when, when, when he's it's got such he's great awareness of the line, so great awareness and a willingness to go and make some contact and hit people. Um, when he's reaching for that first down, he's, he did it several times in this game and he's done it all year long. And Justin Ross ain't that far behind. No, he's, he's very, very similar. similar. Uh, when those two guys are on the field, um, very similar between those two. You do see a uh, drop off there with DeAndre Overton. Um, we also mentioned TJ Hay- uh, TJ Chase and his nice grab for the the third TD of the second half. There, he's played really well in the slot, and you saw him get some more touches in yeah, this game after Hunter Renfro went down. And really excited, I think, what he's going to have to offer for the offense next year. Yeah, uh, he's TJ, quick. He is very quick. He's got really good hands. He can get up over people as well. He's not small. Um, he had 15 snaps this week, which I think is more than he's had in the last couple weeks. Um, a little bit less from Amari this week. He still had four catches, but it was he didn't feel as, as maybe, involved. Maybe, maybe should have had seven. Yeah. I mean, he well, had he some had, big catches. He had two too. that were definitely yeah. drops that he should have held on to. The one in the first quarter that got knocked out of his hands would have been a huge play had he held on to it because there was nobody else between him and the end zone. Um, but he just he didn't seem as involved as he usually is. He's one of Trevor's favorite uh, targets normally, and uh, it just felt like he was a little bit out of it this week. But we had a lot of other guys step up and make some really nice catches. Well, and let's be honest, everybody seemed kind of out of it with the um, inaccuracy from Trevor Lawrence and the drop. It wasn't just him. It was, yeah. again, we mentioned Rimfro, Galloway, 
uh, missed, missed time to jump there. And then we talked about Overt- Overton's drop. So it wasn't just him. It, w- it was a total team effort. Maybe a little bit of, of lack of focus in this game for the offense. But you know what? If it's going to happen at any time, might as well be against Duke at home the week before you play your rival. Absolutely. Get that one out of your system. Move on to the next game. And then finally, just a couple notes on the uh, the offensive line. Um, played a lot better this game. Good to see them bounce back. Oh, mention one thing from the Boston College games. Jackson Carmen was huge stepping in for an injured Mitch Hyatt, so that makes you feel yep. uh, very good at the depth there moving forward. Gage Cervenka has played really well now and essentially taking over for Pollard, who honestly looks like he's, he's still a better tackle than he is a guard at this point. Um, and then Tremaine Ancrum. Horrible game against Boston College. Got yep. beat constantly, uh, causing pressure on Trevor Lawrence. He bounced back and had a pretty good game. He did. They they all had a much better game this week. Uh, also, news this week for the offensive line. They've been named as a semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award. Ten finalists, ten semifinalists uh, for the best offensive line in football. We don't expect them to win that, but uh, they I'm are... surprised they're even nominated. Um I mean, I guess you have to find 10 teams or 10 offensive lines. But, you know, I wonder if, I mean, this is a kind of a question just talking out loud here, asking myself is, are we kind of jaded with what we see? Uh, just because Clemson has been such a good football team for the last several years. And when we are playing opponents, we're generally beating them pretty handily. Not a lot of close games this year. So maybe we're just a, a little jaded, used to, used to a certain type of product and we're not when we take a step back and, and look at the grand scheme of things in comparison to other football teams and how well they are sure they could be right up there yeah i think most of the top four teams got their uh, their offensive lines nominated the, the group of 10 is alabama arizona state Georgia, Memphis, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Pittsburgh, Washington State, Wisconsin, and us. So Georgia, Alabama, us, Notre Dame, all very highly ranked. Um, Sounds like a bunch of teams with good running games, probably. It, it does. Uh, you know, Wisconsin, Memphis, both have incredible running games this year, uh, along with us. And to our to our offensive line's credit, they've been absolutely fantastic with run blocking. We've as a, as a fan base, I think have been a little bit disappointed in the pass blocking at times. Uh, Boston college game is a prime example of that, but generally they're doing a really good job of protecting our quarterback. It's been like two and a half games since he's taken a sack. I think it's been more than a game. He didn't have any this week. Um, and we continually get 200 plus rushing yards. So they're doing something right. They are. And you know, I think it goes back also just kind of to the offense as a whole. We're a little misguided in thinking that, you know, maybe things aren't quite clicking, but this isn't a Chad Morris offense anymore where you're just running tempo, not necessarily caring what the defense is set up to do. You're just going to run so many plays that eventually those things are going to break through. If you look at all the numbers, this offense is much more efficient now and kind of the success of the plays that they do have. We're running probably closer to what, 70 plays a game um, now than we were back to the 90 to 100 during the Chad Morris era. So um, you know, defense adapted. Defense has adapted to that tempo, and so now you're seeing the counterbalance of that uh, with with Scott and Elliott, and um, the the efficiency of the offensive plays that we have is much greater than when Chad Morris was here. Okay, so that wraps it up for the offensive side of the ball. You know, again, still the number nine 
ranked S&P offense in the country, which is much higher than we would have anticipated coming into this year. And that's with a freshman quarterback, a true freshman quarterback leading the team for most of the year. So we'll chalk this one up to a little bit, maybe lack of focus. And I think when you see, you see all the drops, that's a clear indication of that. And we'll look for this um, uh, them to bounce back this week against South Carolina and put up 80. Move on to the defense. As we mentioned, the number one S&P defense and the number one scoring defense in the nation, giving up just 12.1 a game, 12.1 points a game. Damn, that's pretty damn good, giving up less than uh, two touchdowns a game. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of the defense. They do a good job. Great take. Uh, tackles for lost. <laughs> Tigers rank second nationally in that statistic with 9.8 a game. That's an amazing statistic. Um, in this game in particular, Daniel Jones, the Duke quarterback, was constantly on the ground getting constantly. pressure. Even whether or not he, even when he got the ball out, you, you saw him hitting the ground a lot. And I'll say this: Daniel Jones, he's a he, he's an NFL prospect. Absolutely, like he he could very well find himself on an NFL roster when it's all said and done. He's a good quarterback. Doesn't have the the cast around him that that other uh, high powered offense and better teams do. But as far as he's concerned, he played. He looked pretty good. Yeah, outside of TJ Ramming, Ramming, however you say his last name, um, he doesn't really have many pieces that are are awesome around him. But he was just getting hounded the entire game. We ended the game with four sacks, nine tackles for loss, nine pass defense. A lot of those were at the line, uh, and another five quarterback hurries on top of all that. So it was uh, he was being harassed constantly. That's on seventy nine snaps. Um, so. About a third of the, ga- the game, he was getting hit or hurried. Yeah, so at this point, I think what we know what to expect out of this defense. In this game, and it happened in this game, Duke put together some drives early on in the game, going up 6 nothing, could have easily been 14 nothing, um, And it, put, it had some good drives put together at the beginning of the second half, too. Um, they allowed 127 first quarter yards, uh, but only went on to allow only 135 over the final three quarters, and which is another phenomenal stat for this defense. And that's essentially that, that's an indication of them settling in, mm-hmm. uh, starting to understand what the opposing offense is going to do, and then really clamping down. Listen, no, there hasn't been a touchdown scored uh, on this first team defense since the Syracuse game, um, and that's another amazing stat. And it really just does speak to, to how well they've been playing. And I know we have to see how things play out. I know people ask Brent Vittables of how it compares to the 2014 defense. Uh, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this is probably the best defense we've seen at Clemson. Yeah, I mean, seven and a half weeks is a really long time for your number one defense to not give up a touchdown. That's pretty crazy. Um, it, it helps, obviously, when you've got four of the best linemen in the country all on the same line. Um but I, so on the first watch this week, I felt like we weren't getting a lot of pressure, at least in the first half on, on Jones on rewatch. I realized we were in there a lot more than I thought we were. Uh, the second half, we kind of bumped up a lot of those numbers when it was already pretty much out of hand, uh, as far as the sacks and the, the past defense. But when they weren't getting in, our guys are so experienced and skilled that, um, you know, Christian and Dex and Klee are getting in the passing lanes. Austin Bryant had a pass defense as well, I think, this week. Um, when they know they're not going to get there, they're still disruptive. And that's something that takes a lot of experience to get good at. And our guys have mastered it. 
Yeah, and their offensive line was actually uh, pass protecting pretty well early on. But this is one of the adjustments that you saw in game. Uh, Duke's offensive philosophy was going to be to dink and dunk downfield, keeping everything underneath with uh, the, 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 the safeties for Clemson, the tendency to keep everything in front of them. It's a pretty, pretty good game plan there. Defensive line adjusted um, by getting their hands up at the line and knocking down some balls. Um, and after that, the pressure really started getting to them, and, and really the defense took hold there. But, yeah, you mentioned in a lot of uh, batted down balls, um, Cleveland Farrell, um, so spectacular. Cleveland Farrell? Oh, Farrell. For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, uh, Cleveland during the media day this week told the media that he wants his last name pronounced Furl, spelled F-E-R-R-E-L-L, but pronounced like F-U-R-L. Uh, so, you know, whatever. We'll we'll change how we pronounce it. Uh, Clee, we don't want you to come sack us at home, so we'll we'll call you Mr. Furl from now on. Cody calls him Pharrell. And to, to be honest with you, I actually didn't know what they were talking about. I thought the damn guy was just pronouncing his name wrong. Yeah, no, I noticed he did it. Would, it wouldn't be the first time. No, it would not. But he he said it once before he made that explanation. And I, I did the same thing. I was like, what is going on? Why is he saying his name like that? And then he gave the explanation that Cleveland let it be known at, at media day that uh, that's how it should be pronounced. Okay, well, pronunciation uh, aside, a couple really great plays by Burl in this game. Um, he made one spectacular play in pursuit of Jones, uh, adjusting course at the last minute to bat down a ball. He just he was kind of pursuing him. He had an angle on him, and then he dropped back and just kind of did a little drop loop. Yeah, ran parallel with him. Yeah, and he was able to get his hands up and get that ball down. Um, and then later in the game, it was third and 10 from uh, Duke's 40. They're, they're, they're 40. They're driving a little bit. Cleveland times his jump perfectly off the line. Almost could have been an offsides, but really timed that jump perfectly. Got around the left tackle, no problem. To get a hands on hand on Jones, that spun him off. Kendall Joseph followed, uh, followed up as he was spying Jones. He releases, just missing the sack, but enough to trip him up. And then Cleveland comes back out of nowhere to get the sack. Um, that was the one where they followed up with the, the fishing reel celebration, which I, yes. I quite liked. Um, so, yeah, just some amazing plays by, by Furl in this game. Um and just, again, the defensive line has been dominant all year long, um, and they continue to, to be so in this game. I will say when Dexter Lawrence is not in there and Niles Pickney is replacing him, there is a drop-off plugging up those run gaps. Yeah. De- Dexter Lawrence is just such a massive human being. He fills the hole uh, by himself, takes on usually two defend- two offensive linemen or blockers. Um, it's incredible just watching him work against some of the best Offensive lineman in the country, it doesn't matter. He's going to run through them or hold two or three of them by himself. Um, and so for our Rundy, it he carries the load there. And it's really, I mean, he gets in the backfield so easily. It's incredible. Yeah. And then Xavier Thomas, this one is kind of easy to be overlooked in this game, but he is, he looked so good. He is absolutely electric off the line of scrimmage. He just missed a sack on yeah. that first scoring drive for Duke. And that goes to show you how much these coaches are trusting this two fre- true freshman. He's in there spelling Austin Bryant very, very, very early in the game. He's the first backup defensive lineman in at this point. Yeah, as he should be. I mean, he is just – he made a chase down tackle at some point in the game that he had no business making. He covered like 30 yards on the play to make the tackle coming across the field and chasing a, a receiver down. And 
on the the one you talked about with the hurry, she just missed getting there in time. And for someone his size, he has no business moving as fast as he does. It's like Zion Williamson to a degree where you just look at him and think, there's no way he's that fast. And then he runs past you. Well, we said it over and over again this year, uh, and it's quite cliche, but an embarrassment of riches for sure there on the defensive line. And I don't think we've talked about it enough. We've mentioned it before, and I just don't think it's a topic of conversation right now because we're not playing extremely high-powered offenses, but the way this defensive line is able to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks, causing them to have to release the ball quicker, means less time for the defensive backs in coverage, which has been a huge help this year, especially given the lack of depth there. Um, Also, given that we can rush four every time and still have a lot of pressure on the quarterback, allows us to drop seven back instead of six or five. We're bringing more people in to to blitz. It also totally is a huge boon to the uh, to the secondary. Right. And again, that allows them to keep everything in front of them. Uh, when they're having to get the ball out so quick. Because, listen, this the, the defensive backs on this team, as good as they are, A.J. Terrell's been, uh, had such great tight coverage all year long. Tanner Muse is, is, He's been great. has defied expectations for everybody. He's my most improved player on the team this year. Um, but that being said, these defensive backs, they don't make plays on the ball uh, quite often. Tied for 81st in the country with only seven interceptions on the year. We did play three option teams, so that goes to factor into it. Not a lot, very not few pass attempts very in those few games. Passes. Um, yeah, I'll point out that Georgia Southern leads the nation in zero interceptions thrown. Killing it, killing it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, they do keep everything. They don't. They, they don't. So it doesn't exactly put fear into the heart of opposing quarterbacks because we're not necessarily going to go up there and there's no ball hawks in that second. Exactly. And the Duke wide receivers did drop some balls in this game. They totally did. They have could have gone for some big or crucial games. So that let the the defensive backs off the hook a little bit, but overall I thought they, they played really well, at least the frontline starters and with the development of the, the backup safeties has been crucial. The safeties have been, yeah, the second, Second and third string safeties in uh, Nolan Turner and Denzel Johnson. They've shown tons of improvement as well. They've been really great. Um, like we said, Muse has been incredible. Kevon Wallace had another really nice pass defense this week uh, where he got beat on the play but was able to recover and get his hand on. Knock it out. Yep. Um, we obviously, in the Syracuse game, he made a game-saving play very much like that where he was pretty much beat, able to tip it away at the last second. Uh, this was a similar style play where he made the recovery and and, and knocked it loose. But <clears throat> the secondary play has been, I think, coming into the season, it was the, the position group that we were most worried about. And they have shown that there's nothing to be overly concerned about. They do occasionally get beat, um, but they fight back and they don't give up on plays, which limits the number of huge plays that happen against us. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, we're not going to really know 100% for sure until we see this team play a dynamic offense. It's not going to come via South Carolina. It's not going to be uh, come via Pitt. Start looking forward to the college football playoff. It's not going to be Michigan that's going to do that to you. And at Notre Dame, they're talented on offense. Books very skilled. They don't they don't scare me on offense. No. I would say at that point then if Oklahoma finds their way in, obviously that's going to be uh, more Kellen Mond like when you go into yep. a game like that. Kellen Mond plus. Uh, otherwise, it's 
it's going to be Alabama. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, not- depending on the matchups, we may not see a very talented, at least passing offense, until we make the national championship game. So it might be a while until then, until we see them actually get tested in a game. Um, and it could very well come, or would very well come, in the most important game of the year. Yeah, I mean, once we're getting tested, that's when it's going to matter. Uh, we know the, the matchups for the next two weeks are not going to be uh, super difficult for the defense. And I think more than anything, that's where you're going to be able to see how valuable the defensive line is of the team and the pressure they're able to get on the quarterback making them get that out quicker. And let's not um, let's not skip over the linebackers in, in coverage. You saw Chad Smith in there early on. Um, he had a bad angle on, a, on a, the catch by their tight end on the third drive of the game in there in place of uh, Trey Lamar to help out there in pass coverage. Um, Shaq Smith, though, started to see him stand out a little bit yep. more, getting some playing time. He's a guy uh, leaner, quicker, could be helping pass coverage there uh, from the linebacker position. Yep, he and uh, actually I saw Klee get out in pass coverage a couple times this week as well. They drop him and Austin Bryant. Um, so the big guys did a good job this week of not blowing any coverage. Um, that's a really hard thing to do for big linebackers and for defensive linemen to go out and guard tight ends or running backs or uh, slot receivers, whoever it is, in pass coverage. And they've done a really good job so far. Yeah, so again, we'll see once they start to get tested. Um, I, I think definitely the argument can obviously be made for this being the best defense in uh, Clemson history. I don't think it's the best secondary in, in Clemson history by any stretch of the imagination, but the frontline starters are really good, and it's really helped, uh, again, with Tanner Muse coming on and just improving so much from last year. Um, so before we move it off uh, the Duke game here, I want to touch on special teams real quick because, I mean, thank God, finally, we had a bright spot from uh, Will Spears in the, the punting game. Averaged 44.6 yards a punt in this game, had the long of 53, that first punt of the game. Beautiful. Beautiful where he dropped it inside the 20, 50-plus yards. You know, you punt like that, and that gets you an NFL paycheck. Didn't Did have some punts in this game where he got the benefit from some bounces to yes. kind of— Push that average out, but for the most part, punted really well. And Carson King came in there and had a 48-yard punt. Yeah, why haven't they tested that before? That's a damn good question. Um, so, the, really, what this translates into, I mean, again, the 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 punting game has kind of been the biggest thorn in the side for the Clemson special teams this year. But you, you start to look at how we compare to other possible foes, and and really, I'm talking about Alabama here. The, the Clemson Tigers, are number 64 in the S&P spe- ranked the SP rankings for special teams. Alabama is actually 95. They don't yep. really have a great punter either. So I bring this up because we saw special teams be a factor um, in the first national championship game. But then also when you're playing elite teams, field position really comes into play and punting and the ability to flip the field is a huge part of that. That's a huge deal. Um, I think, you know, when you watch the NFL or watch college football, the teams with the good punters gain about um, a full drive and a half's worth of field advantage throughout the game. Um, that means, you know, either shortened drive, drives throughout the game or one drive or two where somebody's got to go 97 yards. Uh, and forcing people into corners and getting them backed up near their own goal lines really changes the d- dynamic of the offense. And uh, it gives 
us a big advantage if we can at least punt consistently and get guys or get teams inside the 20 or inside the 10 uh, and flip that field a good 50 yards uh, when we're not moving the ball. Or we just score every time, not punt. Yeah, that's that's that preferable. Uh, last thing I'll say about special teams, um, and this is to the ACC officials, when somebody runs into the kicker, you throw a flag for running into the kicker. Yeah. Not sure if that's clear. So that wraps it up for our Duke recap here. Uh, again, the, the Tigers are 11-0. It was a little dicey there in the first half, but you never really felt like Clemson was in danger of losing this game. Tigers now turn their attention to South Carolina coming up this week. It's rivalry week. Um, always a fun time, and especially this year when South Carolina and Clemson are going in completely opposite directions. Um, so before we wrap this show, let's uh, talk about a little bit about the Week 13 games coming up. Okay, Sam, we do actually have some interesting games coming up this weekend that will affect or have the opportunity to affect uh, the college football playoff rankings. Uh, starting off here, you got we mentioned it, Michigan at Ohio State uh, game is there in Columbus. Ohio State off that lucky win. I guess you call it lucky. I will actually give Ohio State credit for showing some fight in that game uh, against Maryland. But the winner of this game uh, is still in the college football playoff uh, hunt. Michigan has a clearer path. Yep. Ohio State, should they win this game, is still going to need to beat Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game. And get a little help. This is kind of the matchup everybody's been looking forward to. I, for one, am pulling for Michigan in this one. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i fine with whoever it is. I'm not scared of Haskins. I'm not scared of Michigan. Um, but like you said, if Michigan wins, they... But, but it's who, you, who would you want to see possibly be matched up against in the playoff? You know, I'd love to beat Urban Meyer. I'd love to beat Harbaugh. We've beaten Urban, though. I know, but they both would feel good. Well, the great thing about beating Urban is you, that's another notch in Dabo's belt, sending him packing, getting another coach. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that will, that'll probably just be the dagger, the nail in the coffin. Yeah. Uh, because Urban's he's, done They've done said an, he's done after yeah, this year. Urban's done enough things this year to work himself out of uh, the head coaching job there. But, yeah, I mean, I guess sending him off on a, on a high note like that would be pretty good. High note for us. I'm being facetious. Low note for him. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm not really pulling one way or the other. I'd like to see a good game. I'd like to see both teams actually get tested um, to see what they're really made of so that whoever we end up playing, if it is Michigan and they win this game and we end up playing them, we know a little bit more about them. Ohio State's actually a team that can push them a little bit. Um, and if Ohio State wins, you know, knocks Michigan out of the, the playoff hunt for the most part, um, and Ohio State may or may not get in. They need help. Depending on what else happens. Exactly. I would also love to see the Big 12 get left out, or the Big 10, sorry, get left out again. Uh, speaking of the Big 12 and being left out, uh, Oklahoma at West Virginia this weekend. Uh, West Virginia coming off that loss last weekend at Oklahoma State. Uh, but this is a good game. I mean, West Virginia certainly has an opportunity. They're playing at home. Oklahoma have a tr having to travel halfway across the country to Morgantown. Again, I know Murray's a good quarterback. So is Will Greer. Yeah, uh, West Virginia and Oklahoma are two of the best offenses in the country. Uh, number one and number seven, according to, uh, according to S and P Plus. Um, there's not going to be a ton of defense in the game, as is the norm for uh, Big Twelve football. But there's a, a number of games, and this is one of them this week. That there are 
contenders for the college football playoff. And if they lose this week, they're done. Uh, but if they win, they, they make a good case to stay in the race and uh, keep their, their head above water. Yeah, Oklahoma certainly with a loss this weekend would be knocked out. Uh, same goes for Washington State. Yep. They're playing at home against Washington in the Apple Cup. Yep. Uh, so that one, uh, obviously, a game to watch. Again, Washington State kind of a fringe on the outside uh, there with an opportunity, even if they went out, um, could easily be left just the way the rankings has uh, lined up. But um, certainly still something to play for there. Georgia uh, playing at home against Georgia Tech. I don't really see Georgia Tech giving them a game. But it's funny, Georgia's sitting there, has been sitting at number five for the longest time, but you just kind of feel that they don't really have a chance to get in because you don't see them beating Alabama in the yeah, exactly. SEC championship game. Exactly. So this this would, a loss to Georgia Tech, which I agree is highly unlikely, that would completely end their chances of getting in. Even if they went on to beat Alabama in the SEC championship, I don't think they'd get in with two losses, one of them being to Georgia Tech. Um, so, you know... There, like you said, there's really no possibility. We don't expect Georgia to beat Alabama. Alabama has just looked so dominant. Um, they're actually going to play a decent Auburn team this week. Um, well, decent by maybe national standards. National standards, as far as the record not Auburn goes, standards. But not but Auburn standards. And it's really just interesting to see what's going on there with Gus Malzahn at Auburn. Just that, that offense, just, and that's what he's known for, just not really getting going and really kind of wasting Jared Stidham's last year, in my opinion. I don't see that game's in Tuscaloosa. I don't see Auburn giving them uh, much of a fight. And then finally, got Notre Dame at Southern Cal. Normally a good game. And Notre Dame on the road going out to LA, but Southern Cal, another big disappointment this year. Clay Helton, their head coach, very well could be on the way out. I just don't see them giving Notre Dame a match. Yeah, agreed. And you know, and honest, honestly, that is me giving uh, Notre Dame much more respect than I have in years past. And not because USC's a terrible football team. Because they're not a terrible football no, team. No, they're just all right. Got a young quarterback, having to replace Sam Darnold, who left early to go to the NFL last year. Uh, but I, yeah, I just don't see them giving Notre Dame a match in this game. We'll see how it plays out. I'm rooting for USC to win because of course. I, I love to see Michigan move up into that three spot so we could line up with them in the playoff. But at the end of the day, Michigan or Notre Dame, I don't mind playing either. Neither of them scares me. Yeah, I think at this point in the season, uh, beyond our game, which I'm always obviously rooting for Clemson to win, uh, I'm kind of just rooting for chaos. I want to see USC win. I want to see AM beat LSU and knock them out. I want to see... Um, you know, Georgia Tech pull an upset or Auburn give Alabama a run for their money. I don't think that's even really a possibility that they win, but a close game would be fun. Um, Michigan, Ohio State. I'm rooting for Ohio State probably because I want the lower seeded team to win. Um, you know, I just I want to see some good football and I want to see some upsets. Well, and we haven't seen a lot of chaos this year. Two the last weeks, two weeks, especially two weeks ago, no movement in the top ten. This weekend, the only movement in the top ten is West Virginia dropping out and UCF. Uh, leapfrogging uh, Ohio State there to to jump into the number uh, nine position, but this could be the week. I mean, there's a lot there of games, are real chances this week. There's a lot chaos. of games that that line up to narrowing the field down. That being said, you give Oklahoma a win, Washington State a win, Michigan a win, Georgia a win, Alabama and Notre Dame win. All those teams still with a chance to get in. Yep, there's a lot of teams that uh, are still in the running, and this week could be decisive for a number of them. 
Uh, and then finally, we'll turn to an, an ACC game before we finish things out here. Pitt at Miami. And the only reason is this, that this is important. Pitt wins. They'll be ranked coming in the ACC championship game, which gives Clemson another ranked team on their schedule. Yeah, another team in the 15 to 25 range that we get to play this year. Um, I think more than half of our, our schedule this year has been ranked at some point during the season. So it's uh, it's interesting that they're all kind of in that fringe ranked team uh, area this year. So yeah, Pitt Miami Pitt has gotten some good wins this year. We'll see if they can hold on against an okay middle of the road Miami team who you, you mentioned earlier uh, leads the country in interceptions. So that turnover chain is uh, still a thing. I guess it's just not leading them to any victories this season. You know, I will say this for Pitt. Um, after starting two and three on the year, they've won five out of their last six with the only loss coming to Notre Dame. That was a five-point loss um, in South Bend. So, yeah, you're right. They have been playing a lot better football as of late. That being said, for some reason, I just feel like Miami wins this game. That, that game is down there in Miami. I feel like they win just because it's the ACC Coastal or the ACC in general and nobody's allowed to be good other than Clemson. Yeah. I mean, Pitt's Pitt's played a pretty strong schedule this year. Their three, three of their four losses are to teams in the top 12 in the yeah, college football. Really? Rankings. The only head scratcher is, is the, the loss at UNC. I mean, they did get blown out by central Florida and, and Penn state and, and Penn state. And honestly seeing how uh, Penn state's team has, has, is kind of ended up this year. I imagine if Pitt had that game over, same thing as UCF. I imagine them being a lot closer, if not yeah. wins, just based on how they've been playing lately. Yeah, I think the last three or four weeks, Pitt's been uh, kind of on a roll. Their defense has looked pretty good after that Duke game. Uh, they gave up 45 against Duke and scored 54. So, you know, they're putting up points. Uh, but they held Virginia to 13. They held Wake to 13. Wake's a pretty good offensive team. Uh, and they held Virginia Tech to 22. So they uh, they can score some points. And they can play a little bit of defense. It's just a matter of whether they show up any given week. Well, and here's the thing. Playing an 8-4 and four top, maybe even 20-ranked pit team in the ACC championship game is going to look a lot sexier than playing a 7-5 and five, uh, pit team, unranked pit unranked, team. Yeah. In that t- and I, I know the style points, really, as long as you win, the style points don't matter. But there is a scenario where Clemson could lose an ACC championship game and still make it into the college football playoff, only having one loss just because of the other things that are going on. And that is even more likely if Pitt is an eight and four top 20 ranked team, as opposed to seven and five unranked. Yeah. Obviously we're not cheering for anything close to that. We'd love a blowout the last two weeks in the regular season uh, and the ACC championship game. But if things were to go awry, you want to lose to a really good team or a ranked team. And Pitt has a chance to at least appear as that team um, coming into the ACC championship. Yeah. On the downside of that, if Pitt does win and ends up as a one loss ACC team with a loss in the ACC championship game, do they go and get blown out in some higher level bowl game than they would normally play in? Should they, Uh, lose this week we'll see i know that doesn't really matter but i'm just i'm just grasping for straws here for somebody out of the coastal to be a legitimate football team and not embarrass the acc as they have for the most part this year okay well that wraps it up for uh the football portion of this episode the clemson men's basketball team uh we'll touch on them real quick they're off to what a five and oh start uh 
yes, this sir. year, Sam, they're going to be playing in the championship game of the Cayman Island Classics. Uh, so far, so good. So far, so good. Uh, we've had some injury health issues early in the season. Uh, Eli came back from an injury, a lower leg injury, to start the season. He's been playing. He was sick for a game and played limited minutes. Um, but we we beat Akron yesterday and beat Georgia today. Uh, a lot of people worried about the Akron game. We only ended up winning by three, but it was a lot uh, a lot less close than it looked. We were up by 8 to 15 for the entire game, and they scored a couple of late baskets, and we missed a couple free throws to make it look closer than it was. Uh, Georgia today was probably a little bit of the opposite. We ended up winning by 15, uh, 64-49. Really great defensive effort uh, against a very large Georgia team who destroyed uh, in their game the day before. But we uh, we look good. It's it's a very Brad Brownell-esque team. Slow pace, great defense, uh, led by our two senior guards, uh, Marquise Reed and Shelton Mitchell. And Eli Thomas and Amir Sims and David Scarra round out the starting five. They've looked really good. How big is it that Scarra came back? It's pretty huge that Scarra came back. He is the backbone of the defense when Eli's not in. He can guard that second big guy or the third wing, no matter who it is. Um, And he has actually shown a little bit of a, a shooting stroke this season as well. So he's made improvements to his game. Amir Sims has looked Fantastic. Not a great game today, um, but the first four games he had more than 10 points in each of the first four. So he's showing that shooting stroke. He's still over 50% even after going over four from three today, 50% from three on the season. So these guys are playing great. Marquise Reed has been uh, scoring a ton of points. Shelton Mitchell had a great game against Akron, had more than 20 against them. Um, we look good. We look like the ranked team that we are. Well, so one of our goals here at the podcast this year is um, you know, we've got our, our, our listener, Rob Thomas, from Ireland, who turned into a Clemson fan. We like to think in part because of the Clemson podcast. Uh, Rob, we're going to get you into Clemson basketball now because uh, we're actually good. So keep listening to us in the offseason. Uh, you know, we're going to do a preview show for the 2018-2019 basketball team here coming up in December after the ACC championship game. So be on the lookout for that. Um, but yeah, just a, exciting to transition from, uh, f- from football into, um, into a basketball season with high expectations. Yeah. So we've got Creighton tomorrow uh, in the finals of the uh, Cayman Island tournament. So if you're interested, it's, I think they've shown all these games on Facebook live. For this Cayman Island Classic, uh, the game tomorrow <clears throat> is at 7:30 Eastern. Um, so tune in to Facebook if you want to watch that game. Creighton's actually a pretty good team. They're number th- 36 in the country in uh, Ken Pomeroy's rankings. We're number 21 for reference. Um, yeah, and it should I, be and a good I, game. I think this is a, this is a game that we could honestly, well, we obviously with a team ranked that high, um, we have a chance to lose. And I think a couple of the things for me is we're not seeing the depth so far this year, especially with Malik William uh, being out due to injury so far. And then also the, 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 the three point percentage has not been good for this team. Yeah. Overall Mitchell and Reed especially have struggled from three. Uh, Like I mentioned, Amir Sims has looked great from three Uh, Clyde trap and Hunter Tyson and John Newman, our freshmen um, have been a little hit or miss from three as well. They are getting a fair amount of playing time. But uh, 
there's definitely we've we've been a little cold from three. That will change throughout the season. There's a lot of really good shooters on this team, and uh, they'll come into form. Yeah, Marquis three did not forget how to shoot. No, he's going to be great again this year, um, and he's still scoring even without knocking down those those outside shots. Yeah, he's pl- played great. Um, he had over 20 in multiple games this year already. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot to, to be excited about with this team. Well, yeah, so that wraps it up. Uh, we'll keep an eye on the basketball team, keep checking in here until we get into December. And then obviously after football season ends, we'll, um, and we get into ACC play, we'll be back uh, every couple of weeks or so to, to, to follow up on them. Uh, same thing with football. We'll be back next week with a recap of the South Carolina game, and then we'll uh, turn around after that and kind of go into postseason mode with the ACC championship game coming up, and then hopefully a berth in the college football playoff to follow that. Um, but yeah, a fun time here. I can't believe the season has gone by so absolutely quickly, uh, especially with all those 9 a.m. games, or sorry, 9 a.m. for us here on the West Coast, um, uh, 12 p.m there for you guys on the east coast no matter what time it is in that slot we all hate it yeah i mean i like getting it over with in the morning but usually when we've got that 9 a.m slot it bleeds into the rest of the day and you end up watching football and drinking all day which not the end of the world but it kind of takes away your saturday uh yes it does um and that's one of the things i'm looking forward to actually is, is getting my saturdays or at least some portion of them um, and one last thing before we wrap here, I'm sure all of you have heard about the fires going on out here in California. They're not only affecting the people in those areas, but they're, they're affecting all of us. The, the air quality here in San Francisco has been absolutely horrific. It's been smoky here for more than a week. Um, but yeah, really the, the real victims of that fire are primarily the campfire. You had the one down in Malibu, but the, the campfire, which is three and a half hours away from San Francisco, and we're still getting all this smoke. But, um, but be on the lookout. Sierra Nevada, which is based in Chico, California. They're from Chico, California, which is the main town right outside of where the campfire is, is burning. Um, they are putting out a, an IPA recipe that they're sending to breweries all across the country. I believe 100% of the proceeds are going to be going uh, as a fundraiser to help the fire victims. That beer is going to be called Resilience. Again, it's not just Sierra Nevada that is going to be brewing and bottling it. They are sharing this recipe with many um, breweries across the country. That is surely to make its way to you, so be on the lookout for that. Um, once again, we appreciate everybody listening to the show. We will be back at you uh, with a recap of the South Carolina game. And until then, go Tigers. Go Tigers.